The psychopathology checklist is established instrument for measuring. <laughs> if we do a statistics episode, we have to use that voice the whole time. Because <laughs> 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 that's how statisticians, what are they called? Statistical. Statisticians? Hmm, that's easy for you. <laughs> mm, interesting. Mm, I don't think that's really a Sounds word, Anna. <laughs> Say it again really quick. Statisticians. Oh, it is a word. (laughs) We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational and and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be not safe for work. You'd probably better listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you always task me with like starting after we've said our little thing and i never know how to start i know i mean i know that i task you with that i think you do fine Thanks, jumping great. in there just saying hi just going in hello set. <laughs> hello hello everyone hello, it's Mom. like when you were a little girl and we would go to burger king and you would go up to people and say hi my name is anna you want to be my friend <laughs> except your voice was very high pitched <laughs> even higher than that yes yes hi yeah hi, i'm anna Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Ada. You want to listen to my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. I want all of you to be my friends, Sipsters. Yes. Hi, Sipsters. How are you doing? How are you doing? I got a text from one of our Sipsters who is someone we know personally who, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to I should hope so or else it would be name. <laughs> But she texted me to say that she is a golden chalice sipster. Because we talked about last couple of episodes Mm -hmm. about anyone who has actually listened to all of our episodes. Which, what what number are we on now? 86. 86. So, wow. If you've listened to us talk for 86 plus hours. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not related to us. Well, most of you aren't. Some of you might be. Some of you are. (laughs) We got a uh, mention on Twitter from one of your old kindergarten students. Oh, no. And she is a golden chalice sipster. She ignored the warnings from our last and episode. And she listened and to, she it. Listened to oh, it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I you, you even talked about it. We're like, this is going to make people want to listen even more. That's why we did it. That's why we did it. That's our secret. Yeah, that episode was a little risque. <laughs> Speaking of listening to things, I'm so sorry about the echo that's been happening. I don't think anyone else cares as much as I care, but I care very much. And if there's an echo this time, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. We're trying. I'm trying my best, okay? Yeah, we've done testing and testing, and we don't hear it until you're to the point until where I'm you're editing. actually editing it. And then it's too late. 
But we haven't changed our venue. We haven't changed our venue. I mean, we changed microphones. I just messed with the settings even more than I had before. So hopefully it is fixed now. But it's a brand new microphone. And I know it's not the microphone because I use this microphone for D&D and they don't hear an echo. All right. But we thank you for being patient with our technical stuff. But Anna works very, very, very hard. I try my best. To edit and to make things much more easy to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> much better than they are in real life. Yes. Movie magic, it's, baby. It's airbrushed. <laughs> <laughs> our dialogue is airbrushed by the time it gets to you. That is kind of true. Not that we make any errors no, at all. No, we never make mistakes. No, no, not us. Mm-hmm. Do we have anything that we need to talk about before we jump in with both feet to this topic today? No, and I think this topic is one where we do need to jump in with both feet. Can you tell us what our topic is? Because it was your idea. It was my idea. We had talked about doing uh, an episode about a person mm-hmm. because we've done that in the past where we've talked about different psychologists. And I actually, and I didn't tell you this yet, that I made a list of like 12 Ooh. that I think that we're going to be- That's some good content, yeah. baby. But the thing about that is that when you start to talk about a person, then you go into their theory. Mm-hmm. And so technically, the person that we're talking about today is Robert Hare, who is a psychologist that Anna's going to tell us all about. He's still alive. He's a living. Sometimes we talk about people who lived a while ago, but this guy's still around. So, Robert, if you're listening, hit us up. (laughs) Come on, podcast, Robert. Good job, Robert. Um, on all the stuff we're going to talk about today, which is basically about that he created an assessment Mm -hmm. to measure if a person is a psychopath or not. So using that word psychopath, which is a word that we kind of hear in culture and movies and stuff, but we're going to kind of... We're going to dissect it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to see what psychopath means. Right. I think it's a word that we that people throw around. They're throwing around overgeneralizing, like to right. almost any mental health issues, you know, or, you know, serious mental health issues. You're a psychopath. But Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Anna, but when I hear the word, I think about violence right, right. away. Psychopath I think about- is often like, and we're even before we were recording, mom was holding up a picture of like psychopaths mm-hmm. that are murderers, that right. are serial killers. And, and like John Wayne Gacy is on there and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so that is, Manson, yeah, right? that is where psychopath is usually reflected. Like that's, that's usually where people are using that word. Right. As we start, we need to kind of talk about the definition of psychopath versus sociopath. Right. And then we'll throw in the term of antisocial personality. We're going to kind of sort through all that. Anna, you're good at sorting through stuff. I don't know how true that is. (laughs) I mean, I have OCD enough to like, I like putting things in Rubbermaid tubs. (laughs) Like physically sorting through things. But sometimes words, uh, not so good. Not so good. (laughs) Not so good at the words. So Anna, is is psychopath something that we can officially diagnose through the DSM? No. Good question. Psychopath... And sociopath, both, are not clinical words. They're not. They're, they're words that are in the lexicon that describe, they both describe someone with antisocial personality disorder, but the stuff that I was finding says that there are nuances with those two terms. Right. So what I was finding is that a psychopath is someone who is 
amoral, does not have the capacity to love others, establish meaningful relationships, have empathy, um, they're very self-centered, all that kind of stuff. So, so the psychopath, they have to pretend to care. They have to mimic emotions. They don't recognize when other people are in distress. They can't form emotional connections. So psychopath, I would say, is further on the side of the scale, like the, the more extreme on the scale. We've, we've kind of talked about that before, that in the mental health, realm pretty much everything is is a spectrum of mm-hmm. sorts you know because and we talked about that very specifically with autism that we recognize it as a spectrum right but we also talked about like people with ocd mm-hmm. you know we're on we're kind of on a spectrum and and in this way too antisocial personality disorder is kind of a spectrum not officially that's just the way we look at it yeah it's not like any diagnosis that we talk about is like a binary thing like right, right. You, you you either very much have it or you very much don't like that's that's not you can have mild cases or severe cases or moderate cases or whatever so mm-hmm. so i mean pretty much everything in the dsm has some kind of severity level right right okay so that's psychopath Mm-hmm. And sociopath, again, also someone with antisocial personality disorder, but they don't really have a lot of empathy. They are more capable of empathy than a psychopath. Right. And we'll talk a little bit later about how that roots back to brain wiring, how a psychopath literally is wired differently. And I think a sociopath is wired differently too. There's just more capability for those kind of connections. Mm -hmm. So whereas a psychopath would have to like mimic emotions and just pretend to care, sociopaths probably aren't going to care about others. They're going to like more rationalize their behavior away instead of just like psychopaths literally don't think what they're doing is wrong. They're literally like, this is just what I'm doing. (laughs) Whereas Mm -hmm. sociopaths find rationale for that. Usually sociopaths are going to be a little more hot-headed or impulsive um, and prone to like fits of rage and stuff like that. But they can form emotional connections more than a psychopath can. But so again, I want to go back and and have you say it again, that these two terms are not clinical. They're not clinical. Diagnostic terms. Yes. Because I think that's important. You want me to say that again? You just said it. Yes. (laughs) These are not clinical terms. These are not clinical terms. Okay. Got it, everyone? For some reason, I think that's that's an important distinction because – and I think maybe because when I was doing reading, I found it confusing. Mm-hmm. That one source would kind of describe a psychopath, and then another source that I would find it was the way they described sociopath in this one. It was yeah because it's been used in cultural whatever. What am I trying to say? The lexicon. I the love how lexicon. I go and then Anna puts a word on it. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to just follow me around all day long, clarify. This I kind of do. That's kind of yeah. already what happens. You should really do that every day. I should just. You should. I should just have people hire me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> where they like start I'm describing something and then just look at me and I like She'll put a very concise yeah. word to it. Yeah. She doesn't actually translate like into American Sign Language or into another <laughs> I don't know any other languages. languages. But she just English knows. is my first, second, and third language though. <laughs> She's so. so damn good at English <laughs> that she translates those of us who can't really put things into words oh, into words. I would say I'm blushing, but it's just very hot up here. So it's probably just that. <laughs> Anna has threatened to take off her clothes because it's very Specifically hot. Specifically my pants, yes. I don't want to be wearing pants right now. You can edit this out if you don't want people to know this, but since you were a very little girl, you had a thing as soon as you would come in the back door of the house. 
Just you would shed take my off pants. your pants. Yeah. I don't know. When you were very little, sometimes I would have to call you in from the backyard because you ventured out in your little underoos. Uh, yeah, you can tell how hard of a day I've had by how close my pants are to the door, even to this day. <laughs> sometimes they're out in the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> just in the car. On the way home, sitting in the seat, like I just like jumped out of it. (laughs) So for you, it's kind of a psychological release when you take off your pants. It's it's funny, and I (laughs) maybe I shouldn't be saying this about my husband when he hasn't cleared this, but he does the same thing. We'll be like, I need to not be wearing like work clothes anymore because that's what it is. Like I feel like when I'm wearing, take off your work clothes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like I want to, I want to put on something comfy. I don't want to be like thinking that I'm working anymore. I think. At least for some of us who went to a private school that had to wear uniforms, oh, yeah. that was well established in us. Because yeah. I know that when I was a kid, I could not wait to get that uniform off when I got home. they're uncomfy. Yeah, they're ugly and uncomfortable and whatever. But but that's that same feeling like you just want to shed the day. Right. Sorry, we kind of got off task. Speaking of psychopaths, we're talking about <laughs> taking out of our pants. <laughs> okay, so 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 what we're looking at is the idea that antisocial personality disorder is diagnostic. Yes. It is it is a diagnosis and so but it's kind of an umbrella term over these two cultural terms that we just used. Right. So what is it to be antisocial personality in the DSM? So antisocial personality disorder is a cluster B personality disorder which I would tell you about but I don't actually know the difference between cluster A, cluster B, and cluster C. I have to be honest, I don't either, because I was kind of shocked to see where OCD was in one of the clusters. Mm. So It's a cluster, for sure. Well, that's, I'm just thinking somebody was putting them together going, what are we going to call these groups? I don't know, this is a cluster. (laughs) This is not a cluster, I don't know. (laughs) So so cluster B has antisocial, borderline, and histrionic, and narcissistic, which those are some doozies. They are some doozies. Cluster B is kind of a kind of a doozy one. Antisocial personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15 years, as indicated by three or more of the following. And I will say that before 15, it's usually conduct disorder. Right. Like there's it's not necessary that they've had a history of conduct disorder, but conduct disorders like Baby's first antisocial. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good way to say it. Antisocial junior. So to be diagnosed with antisocial. And again, whenever we talk about a personality disorder, personality disorders are hard to get diagnosed with. There's a lot that goes into being diagnosed with a personality disorder just because they are so pervasive. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is something to keep in mind as we're talking about this. But things with antisocial are a failure to conform to social norms, especially about lawful behaviors. They're going to repeatedly do things where they could basically get arrested for it. They're they're, they're disregarding the rights of others, Mm -hmm. like I said. Um, There's going to be deceitfulness. There's going to be manipulation. There's going to be usually like repeated lying, use of aliases, conning others for personal profit. (laughs) Okay, 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 okay. Listen, we're going to be laughing a lot in this episode. (laughs) We're going to be laughing a lot in this episode because my father... It has antisocial personality disorder. He's we, not, we believe. Now, he believe. hasn't been officially diagnosed. There was one therapist who said well, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's been a diagnosis. So, yeah. So, we, um, we're going to be laughing, and there may be some personal anecdotes here, Ugh. but the, the use of aliases made me laugh because he is he's into aliases. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're never sure how to find him because we're never sure who he is right now. There's going to be impulsivity. There's going to be failure to plan ahead. There's going to be irritability and aggressiveness. 
especially like with physical fights and assaults, which is interesting. Dad doesn't which have does that. not fit him. No, Mm-mm. no. And dad's not. Dad's never like been violent. His is more the manipulative side of it. Reckless disregard for safety of self or others. There's going to be irresponsibility. This is going to be usually like repeated failure to sustain a consistent job. Very dad. <laughs> Very dad. That's a very dad thing. There's going to be a lack of remorse, especially like when they have hurt or or mistreated someone else. And like almost every other diagnosis that we've kind of talked about, the individual has to be at least 18 years old. But this one does say, oh, oh, I guess I was wrong. There does have to be evidence of conduct disorder um, before age 15. So that is that is an important part of diagnosing antisocial personality disorder after 18. I think that's never mind. I think that's weird. As I well. think it's weird because you might not have that evidence, right? You know, if you're working with a yeah. client, if you just have self-report, especially, yeah. or if you're working with the people who are in that person's life right now, they might not know what was going on before. Well, he was- and antisocial is one of those ones that we've kind of talked about. We kind of talked about this with hoarding. We talked about this and a couple other ones where if someone's not going to come in of their own accord for this and say, "Hey, I think I hey, might I be think I'm antisocial." This. Yeah, that's never yeah. going to happen. It's usually going to be. They're coming in with someone else. It's going to be there mandated to come for some reason. Right. There, and again, that is because they literally don't think what they're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. So that that's a big part of this. But that's that's the DSM diagnosis for antisocial. For antisocial, yes. So how about if we circle back to how a person might be designated, even though it's not a diagnosis, as a psychopath in what we're talking about today, about Robert. You want to talk about Robert? I do want to talk about Robert. Why don't you tell us about Robert's history and that will tell us about why he got involved with this whole topic. Okay, I will do that. Take it away, Anna. It's history time. Cue the music. So Robert Hare was born in 1934. This is perhaps the only time I have done history for someone where I know the birth date and it doesn't have different ones considering the source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, he was born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Hey, Canada, represent. His father (laughs) was a roofing contractor. His mother... It said his mother was of French-Canadian descent. I would like to note that that is not an occupation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working very hard at being a French-Canadian descent. I guess. Uh, they grew up in like a working-class neighborhood, but they were described as a pretty close-knit family. I couldn't find much about his life or his childhood. I, I usually like to try to do that because often growing up, there will be things that will have led them to their theory. Right. But from what I was looking at with Robert, it didn't happen until he started studying later after undergrad basically that he kind of fell into this line of work the most i could find was that he really didn't know what he wanted to do he was he was very good at school he found school pretty easy he was drawn to math science archaeology and he eventually attended the university of alberta for a bachelor's of arts degree It, it said it ended up more by default with an emphasis on psychology i don't know what that means also wouldn't it be a bachelor of science if it was psychology uh, no. No? I think my bachelor's degree is a bachelor's degree of art for psychology. Really? I mean, I have a bachelor's of art, but I have a studio art degree. Technically, you have two bachelors. I have a bachelor's of art and science. Oh, well, then science would be the psychology, I guess. Yeah. Weird. Whatever. I, I can't Google it right now because I don't have my <laughs> Googler. <laughs> Uh, my I Google my machine. Go- <laughs> <laughs> I get really used to going, hey, Google. And then sometimes she ignores me. She ignores me more than Alexa does. 
I don't know. Say oh, I have she, one over there. Oh, I know. Don't I say her, her name too loud. Shh. I know. She'll get mad. Maybe we should ask her. If she knows <laughs> if it's a Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor of Science. Probably not. I don't no. want to. No. She's no. Not don't get her wound up. She's, I know. She'll Sometimes she gets she pissed know. off and then you just can't. I know. She'll, she'll yell. I know. So, <laughs> then she'll, in the middle of the night, wake you up with weird whale sounds or something. <laughs> <laughs> she does that when she's mad. Really? Has your has your Alexa woken you up with whale sounds before? No, but she has woken me up. Like all of a sudden, just start talking in the middle of the night. Ew, that's creepy that as is crap. Creepy. Yeah, I know. Ooh, I think I, I have like to take that. her out of the bedroom. Ooh, that's Ooh. A, that's a horror movie. <laughs> but uh, his bachelor's of arts, if that's what it truly was, must have gone well because he followed it up with pursuing a master's in psychology at the University of Alberta as well. He commented, "I was curious about what drives our perceptions, emotions, motivations. I wanted to know what was going on from an experimental, scientific perspective." So he's got a very clinical mind. He's got he's got a very research driven mind. Mm-hmm. And during this time, he also met his wife Averill, which is the coolest name. <laughs> I love that name, Averill. Yes, um, they met in an abnormal psych class, which feels very legit. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. (laughs) (laughs) As you meet all your great friends in an abnormal psych class, they married in 1959 and their daughter Cheryl was born a year later. So after finishing his master's, Robert and his family actually moved to the U.S. where he began a Ph.D. at the University of Oregon. The program was in psychophysiology, which is a branch of biological psychology, and it studies how emotions, behavior, and the nervous system all play together. Um, So again, looking at things from a very scientific standpoint. I wish you could see Anna's hands. I love when she talks with her hands. She it's so cute. Calls me out for talking with my hands. I love. I wonder who you learned that from. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I learned it from watching you. Okay. So unfortunately, um, during this time, Cheryl, their daughter, began to have medical problems. So mm-hmm. they uh, returned to Canada, where treatment would be more affordable because the United they States is a hellscape. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> during this time, don't get on your soapbox right now. I Stay didn't, on task. I didn't. I okay, didn't. Okay. Okay. During this time, he took the first job he could get, which you do when you're. <laughs> When you're studying a higher education, crisis, you just get yeah. whatever you can. Mm-hmm. But the job ended up being as the psychologist at the British Columbia Penitentiary. Penitentiary. <laughs> Penitentiary. There you go. <laughs> um, is a maximum security That's prison. That's something I would have done. On the Penitentiary. Of Vancouver. <laughs> Penitentiary. <laughs> you're saying a lot of words really well. I know. Give me a break. You, you <laughs> so can get one say, wrong out so of a million. Say, say one wrong. So the primary job he had while he was there was assessing prisoners. He would use available tools from, from like personality tests to Rorschach ink blots, which we've talked about. And I wish I remembered the episode. Episode 61. 61. Rorschach. Rorschach. interested in that. That was a long time ago. That was a good one. I liked that one. I liked that one. I did too. Mm-hmm. We talked about the cool ink blots and mm-hmm. what you see in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you haven't heard that episode, you mm-hmm. need to listen to that one. one. If you're not a Golden Chalice sister and you haven't heard all of them, go back Or and even if you are a Golden Chalice and you're like, hey, hey I really missed that one. Let's yeah. see that again. <laughs> but he noticed while he was doing these that, that these were all scientifically unreliable, which we talk about in the Rorschach episode too, that it's very subjective. It's mm-hmm. not good for assessing what he was trying to assess. And he soon discovered that they were much less useful than the insight of the prison guards and Mm. while he was here he met his very first psychopath 
a prisoner named Ray. Did you read this story? Mom mm-hmm. is looking at the uh, no, article I, that I got this story yeah, from. Yeah, I, I read it. Ray seemed like a character. Their very first meeting, Ray pulled out uh, what, what was called in the article a homemade knife. It's a shiv. It's a shiv. shiv. I can never remember if it's a shiv or a shank. You but shank you use a shiv, a shiv to shank. <laughs> okay. You shank them with your shiv. With your shiv. Okay. So you pull that shiv, and there was a panic button above the desk that Robert was using. But it, it even said in the article that it was useless because the, so by the he time you did yeah, that, he had you'd this be... panic button. But there were several locked doors between him and the guards. Uh-huh. So if he had hit the panic button, it he would, would have been shanked. He would have been shanked <laughs> by the, the shiv. shiv. <laughs> yes. Um, by Ray holding a shiv. <laughs> so he didn't push it. And Ray was talking about like how he was going to use it on another prisoner. And Robert didn't tell anybody, which... Uh, when I read that, I was kind of like, good. what about being mandated reporter yeah, stuff? because that is one of the things that we have as counselors, where mm-hmm. if, if one of our clients says, I am planning to hurt this person, we have a duty to warn that person. Duty to warn, yeah. But uh, nothing happened. He didn't He didn't end up using it. And I think that's what Robert saw, was that it was a trick to build rapport, basically. Mm-hmm. It was, he, he was, was testing kinda, him. He was testing him. Mm. And he even said, like, a, as he was talking about this job he even said like i had no right to be there Mm -hmm. i had no idea what i was doing these people were manipulating me because i was i mean he didn't even have his phd yet i think it was while he was working on his phd right right so i mean yeah he was being manipulated by by these psychopaths because that's what they do (laughs) but yeah he basically said that ray had trapped him that he had trapped him into like a a test to build rapport Mm. and in the eight months that robert was working at the jail he basically continued to be manipulated by ray like he got ray a job in like the mechanic section um like the auto shop and the very last thing that ever happened as he was leaving the jail because he uh he got a job at the university of western ontario or he was going there to study or something and before he left with his family to like drive on this cross-country trip he took his car into the mechanic shop i don't know why why would you i didn't read this part he took his car into the mechanic shop and as they were driving the brakes failed holy crap he so he managed to like stop at uh at another auto shop and they basically said that it had been like cut in such a way (gasps) that it would be a slow leak so ray tried to kill him it seems (laughs) that way ray tried to kill him Psychopath kind of psychopath, I guess. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. So he was he was very happy to get out of the prison system and get back into academia where people are a little less crazy. <laughs> Not much. A little less. <laughs> crazy in different ways, I think. There you go. Yeah. Different issues, yeah. But he ended up at the University of Western Ontario. Um, his dissertation, because he had been working in the prison, he wanted his dissertation to be on the behavioral effects of reward and punishment. And his research here led him to a book, The Mask of Sanity. And this was by an American psychiatrist named Hervey M. Cleckley. Not Harvey, I'd like to clarify. <laughs> there is no Harvey. A in this name. Hervey. Hervey M. Cleckley. And this played a pivotal role in uh, the concept of psychopathy as he applied it and developed it. I think they worked together, or at least not not like worked together like physically, but I think they consulted with one another. I, I think they were at least working with each other to like bounce ideas off each other. So after that, after his dissertation, he went back to British Columbia, to the University of British Columbia, where he stayed for 30 years. But he went there and he was basically like relegated to the back of the campus and like shattered. 
shacks. He didn't have a lab. <laughs> he he ended up doing most of the research in the prison where he had worked before just because there was no lab space at the University of British Columbia. I'm not sure why. Poor guy. <laughs> I know. It was a lot of research go going on. I suppose. His first breakthrough psychopathy experiment measured physiological arousal. So they hooked people up to a sweat gland monitor, um, volunteers, all male, and they were told that they were going to get a brief shock, a brief electric shock, eight seconds into a 12-second countdown. <laughs> Sorry, it's so funny. This uh, kind of reminds me of the shock thing. The, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Milgram? Milgram, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. And the study, so this was in 1965, the study revealed that while most criminals and control subjects exhibited significant physiological stress in anticipation of the shock, psychopaths didn't. They were just like, whatever. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. It is noteworthy, I think, and, and we'll come back around to this later again, too, that, that they were all male. Mm-hmm. Because there are, there is some some questions and some criticisms about his studies and his work that basically it's all well, male. Well, I think it's hard if he was working just out of the jail. Right. He, couldn't, he didn't have any choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was a similar study um, published the following year where participants were given the option to be shocked immediately or 10 seconds later. 80 to 90% of non-psychopaths and community controls chose, to, well, like, oh, if there were community controls, I guess he could have gotten some chicks. But he didn't. They were all male. This one doesn't specify if they were all oh, male. okay. But the last one had community so, controls, yeah. too. So 80 to 90% of non-psychopaths and controls chose to get it over with immediately. Just zap me just, and get it done. Just do it, yeah. I don't want to anticipate it. Right. And only 56% of psychopaths chose that option. So they didn't mind waiting. They're like, whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, basically. Whatever. There was another one where they hooked subjects up to an EEG that tracked brain activity and study participants looked at neutral or emotional words such as table, desk, carpet, corpse, maggot, maggot. torture. <laughs> Can you guess which ones are the neutral and which ones are the emotional words? Followed by scrambled words. So Hare said about this study, with emotional words, most people can differentiate between words and scrambles very quickly with high accuracy, but psychopaths responded the same way to emotional and neutral words. There was no emotional turbo boost. That was stunning. So there was no difference in brain activity between a word like table and a word like torture. Right. Whereas most of us would have in some neuro- kind of in physiological a neuro- Right. In response. a neurotypical person, the EEG would show brain activity. Some kind of spike. Right. With an emotional word. Even if you don't word. really feel it, like if you hear the word corpse, even if if you're not feeling like, oh, the word corpse. Yeah, even you if it's do not have, a personal connotation right. thing. There is something in your brain that, that will fire, if you're neurotypical, mm-hmm. will fire like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. That's, that's kind of a scary word, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, just um, because of the, the social connotation Right, right, and what we've learned about that word and, yeah. Right, but so psychopaths that, don't have that social connotation. So that goes back to what you were saying earlier about it actually being a wiring thing, that right. our brains are wired differently. Yes, and in general, Robert Hare really relies on brain scans as a way to peg who is a psychopath. Uh, he has even commented that brain scans will eventually be looked at kind of the way DNA tests are looked at uh, like yeah. like they that makes a lot of sense so commonplace as a way to to peg who has these emotional disturbances mm-hmm. that that will look at it as as just vital you know vital as pieces of evidence yeah because now they're using all of that mapping brain mapping and mm-hmm. um, neuro mapping whatever 
in court cases and stuff mm-hmm. to kind of help to prove. Right. Which is a relatively new thing. It is. And Robert has said, like, it will eventually get more mainstream, basically. Mm-hmm. As well. uh, and these these were all really interesting to Robert. And obviously, I only went through a couple of them. And he's been researching for 30 years. Uh, so there's, there's a lot more. But forensic psychology in general was just a really fledgling field. He was one of the first people to really dive into it. He has even said, Cluckley and I were two voices crying in the wilderness at times i was ready to pack it in and go into archaeology but i stuck at it he was really in the archaeology thing isn't that interesting yeah i think that's interesting that that's his second choice <laughs> yeah we've talked about though other famous theorists were often interested in in something else like archaeology it's, it's in my brain that maybe one of them was an archaeologist or something but or 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 etymo- what's that called etymology is that, that bugs? Wait, which <laughs> one's bugs. bugs? But other sciences and other yeah. research stuff that really has nothing to do with psychology. So right, it's right. interesting. Yeah, because you think about like you'd think there would be something a little closer that you would go into. Right. But maybe that was the point. Maybe he's just so you kind of want to go totally the opposite way, right. you know? So in the 70s, he published Psychopathy, Theory, and Research, which became kind of internationally influential. It kind of revived and shaped the concept. Uh, He drew a lot of attention. He got a lot of, like, grad students and stuff. He finally got a lab! Hey! He's not in the backyard anymore. He's not not in a shack in the backyard. (laughs) Then uh, during this time also, he uh, developed what we are basically talking about him for. So he found himself really frustrated by kind of the lack of agreed upon definitions, the lack of a rating system, the lack of a test. And so in France in 1975, he went to a NATO conference, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization um, conference, and he began developing a psychopathy checklist. So he started developing this in, uh, in 1975. He produced it for initial circulation in 1980, the same year, actually, that the DSM changed its diagnosis of sociopathic personality to antisocial personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was based largely on the list of traits advanced by Cleckley. It says with whom Hare corresponded over the years. So again, they were corresponding. And like he said earlier, they were like the two people who were doing this. Right. <laughs> they right. were like the two people in this specific field of study. So he really looked at Cleckley's research and Cleckley's list of characteristics and stuff to inform his own creation of the test that he made. So mom, why don't you give us Cleckley's list of psychopathic characteristics okay and when you hear these then then kind of store them in your brain because when you hear the test itself which we're going to do perhaps maybe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, teaser mm -hmm. teaser you will hear a lot of the same ideas so he had 16 characteristics and i'm just going to zip here Uh, The first one is superficial charm and what he called good intelligence. So Mm -hmm. someone comes across very intelligent, but that superficial is important. Number two is the absence of delusions and other signs of irrational thinking. Okay. So they don't have delusions. Three is an absence of nervousness. Uh, Again, which goes with the like confidence. Right, right. Number four, though, is unreliability. Number five is untruthfulness and insincerity. Which I think, like, I've talked about this with people that, like, you can tell when someone's being disingenuous. Like, we kind of get a sense. Mm -hmm. And and so I think these people are very, very good at faking it. But I also think you can kind of go, 
something's off about this person. Right. You've met those kind of people that are very- Very charming. Very charming. But but you get this gut feeling like, mm, is this really authentic? Off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that might be what's happening. Okay. Number six is a lack of remorse or shame. These things should also be ringing a bell back to when Anna was reading the antisocial personality criteria. Although this happened before what I read. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Seven is inadequately motivated antisocial behavior. I'm not sure what inadequately motivated means. Like you don't really have a reason. You just do you it. You just do it for fun. Right, right. You just do it to do it. You're just evil for the sake right. of it. Right. Number eight is poor judgment and failure to learn by experience. Mm. Number nine is pathologic egocentricity. There's some big words. And Curvy. capacity for love. That's interesting. But so, So it's not a healthy pathologic egocentricity and capacity for love. So you have a pathologic capacity for love, which goes to that that point where I know I've used in therapy before and we've talked about personally mm-hmm. that when you when you're dealing with someone with a serious mental illness sometimes, you know, especially when you're working with the kids or you're working with adults who have lived through that with a parent, you say to them, you know, they do love you to their capacity. It's not a neurotypical capacity to love. Right. So these people don't have a neurotypical capacity to love someone. They might love someone, but it's not. As much as they can. Right. And that's the way we say it yeah. um, to people. To kind of give people a sense of peace, like it's not that I wasn't lovable, it's no. that that person cannot love the same way that right. I want them to. Okay, number 10 is a general poverty. I love the way he words these. General poverty in major affective reactions. So they so don't show. Affect. Right. They don't show a lot of emotion on their face or. Number 11, specific poverty. loss of insight. Number 12 is unresponsiveness in general interpersonal relations. Mm -hmm. 13 is fantastic and uninviting behavior with drink. (laughs) So they're boozy? And sometimes without. So when they drink, they get like... They're fun. They're fun. They're They're wild at a party. They're fantastic. They're the life of the party. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, they get a little carried away when they drink. But then it has in parentheses, sometimes without. So their behavior might be like that even without alcohol. Okay. Okay, 14, suicide is rarely carried out. Okay. So they're so they would not be suicidal. They would okay. be too self too self-absorbed. Right. 15 is that their sex life is usually impersonal, trivial, mm-hmm. poorly integrated. Right. Which goes to not being able to form emotional connections. Right. 16, interesting wording. The last one says failure to follow any life plan. Mm. Not being able to keep jobs and stuff. Uh-huh. Exactly. So, uh, you know, overall Checkley said, most psychopaths seem very friendly and engaging when you first meet them. They're easy to talk to and they appear to be interested in you, into whatever you're talking about. But sometimes you get that feeling. And I know that one of the things that you referred to when he was talking, when Robert Hare was talking to Ray for the first time, in that description of it, he talked about how he, something like he nailed me to the wall with his eyes. Mm -hmm. And he often refers back to the eyes. And when we were looking at those pictures of those psychopaths, those serial killers, they all have crazy eyes. Crazy eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy eyes. So that is one of the things actually that in some of the thing I was reading about Robert Hare that he would study their eyes. You know, like he always looks in people's eyes. (laughs) I watched this girl on on YouTube, Kenny JD, who does like 
movie reviews. She does her makeup and does movie reviews of like bad movies. And she talks a lot, like she's done several like psycho stalker movies and stuff. And she always talks about unblinking male love interests. <laughs> because that's like a it's like if they don't blink a lot you you kind of like peg them as kind the of a psycho eyes, yeah. yeah so so and i think that kind of goes along with being able to fake things but not entirely mm. you know just mm-hmm. not being totally aware of like oh i'm not blinking enough that's weird because mm-hmm. it's not a thing you think about so so i think the the, the unnatural eye contact is kind of a tell mm-hmm. yeah we've all had that experience stare at them really hard <laughs> So those are the characteristics that Hervey, Hervey Checkley, Cleckley, <laughs> Hervey Checkley, Cleckley. No. <laughs> I'm making his name it's, even more difficult than it really is. I think it's because I, well, so I'm looking at the word checklist. Oh, <laughs> it Hervey, goes together. Hervey checklist. <laughs> so, but that list is where Hare got a lot of his ideas for his own checklist, which um, in 1985, following Cleckley's death in 1984, actually, he renamed it the Hare Psychopathy Checklist Revised, the PCLR. The finalized first edition was in 1991. The second edition was in 2003, which I believe is the one that we will be talking about. But Mm -hmm. that is basically all I've got for Robert Hare. He is alive. He is either 86 or 87. He is ostensibly retired, but he still advises the FBI's Child Abduction and Serial Murder Investigative Resources Center and he consults for various uh, British and North American prison services. Even now. Mm-hmm. Never really retired. Go Robert. Yeah. Uh, Avril, his wife, is a researcher and prominent social worker in Canada. She specializes in child abuse and child welfare. Unfortunately, their daughter, Cheryl, died from multiple sclerosis in 2003. Mm. And Hare has even said of himself and his wife both that family and the loss of family defines an awful lot about who Avril and I are. Mm. Yeah, which is is very sad. But they still are doing really great work. They they both are apparently still doing really great work. And Robert, if you're listening, you're doing great work. We're really proud of you. <laughs> Tell your wife she's pretty. <laughs> she's doing great work. We're proud of you both. All right. Let's do you this. You want to talk about the P-C-L-R. <laughs> I don't know what that stands for. I literally just said it. I know, but I still didn't get it. <laughs> psychopathy checklist revised psychopathy that's one of those words that i look at and i cannot say it because it looks like psychopathy psychopathy. yeah psychopath with a y on it which changes the whole way you say the word psychopathy why all of a sudden do you say the ah what who made that rule no one this is english english doesn't english doesn't have rules oh it's so hard So I think we would start by saying this is one of those tests. And a lot of psychological assessments, even though we're real into like self-assessments online and all that right now, the actual heavy duty, especially for personality disorders, Mm -hmm. the kind of assessments, you you need to be like licensed in using them. You need to be trained in using them. And, And when you would go in and read about this particular assessment, they repeatedly say, you really need to be trained in this one because this is heavy duty stuff. You don't want to just go in there lightly and go, oh. Oh, you're a psychopath. Oh, you're a psychopath. Right. So, and again, like, even though this has been very specifically done by people who have been studying this for years and years, there's always going to be that self-report thing where the insight of people around them is probably going to be more useful than a self-report checklist. 
so as we don't talk a whole lot about statistics because mostly because I hate it, but <laughs> but we just for the it. just for the hoity mctoity crowd uh-huh. sipsters uh-huh. who want it who want to know about it, I, I'm going to read this as best I can with my your statistics <laughs> voice. I was going to use a statistics <laughs> voice, but I don't think I can maintain it. But I will okay. tell you this, that the hair, I see, I can't even say psychopathy, 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 PCLR. <laughs> yeah, that thing. Hair used a sample of 4,981 prison inmates and 1,246 inmates to calculate an alpha coefficient of 0.87 for both. So I'm doing this, believe me. I'm just doing this so that you can hear how how this sounds. Interrater reliability was also very high. Yeah, according to studies, pretty good. it's very because good. eighty because one is like a hundred percent. And so when we say point eight seven, it's like eighty seven. Eighty seven percent, which is like a B. Yes, <laughs> sure. which is actually very good in statistics. Good. Yes. B is like kicking ass. Okay, yeah. and for a five year time period, the test retest coefficient was presented as a point eight nine. That's in studies good. And um, validity has been supported factor analysis uh, in in many factor analysis studies using samples, though, of the prisoners Mm -hmm. and the forensic inpatients. So there is kind of a limit that the study was basically done in a very specific setting setting with a very specific group of people, population. Good job, Bonnie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we've already mentioned that that it's significant that females were not included in that. So that might be a significant thing. So all this disclaimer stuff about how this test is actually very accurate Mm -hmm. compared to like the Rorschach, like we were talking about. And yet they really give you a lot of warnings like, don't try to do this without being trained. Don't do this at home. And we're going to do it right now. We are uh, going to disregard entirely. (laughs) So the way the test is laid out, basically, there's two parts of the test. But the main part of the test, it has 20 items that you have to then score with just a zero or a one or a two. So a zero is basically never, not at all, Mm -hmm. no presence. A one is eh, maybe or sometimes or I'm not sure. So that's kind of in the middle. And a two is, yeah, that's definitely definitely there. Yeah. Okay. So zero, one, or two. So there are only 20 items, but in the end, you score up to 40 points. That's the most you could get on this test. Okay. So if you're going to do this at home with us, are you going to do it, Anna? I'm going to do it. I would like to know if I'm a psychopath. Okay, let's try it. Let's let's see if you're a psychopath. Okay. So, but I can't say it enough. Don't take this overly seriously, okay, no, sipsters? No, no, no. Like if you do this and you're like, oh, shit. Right. I'm a psychopath. You're be a, Be aware that we're like doing this on a podcast. A podcast. Okay. So yeah, don't get, too, don't get too excited. But the other part of this is for you to understand what is asked, you know, what kind of questions are mm-hmm. asked of someone. Okay. So number one. Do you have, ex- and these are worded maybe slightly differently than they would be on the actual test. Do you have excessive glibness or superficial charm? I think my charm is, <laughs> You're so charming. is the most official. <laughs> Extraordinarily official. Zero, one. I think you're a zero. Thanks. Personally. Because it's the the clue there is superficial. Yeah. You might be charming, but you're authentically charming, which you are, Anna. Thank you're you. authentically thanks, charming. Thanks, <laughs> Just if I met you at a party, I would want to be your friend. <laughs> okay. Do you have a grandiose sense of self worth? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Grandiose means way out of proportion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, I mean, we should all have some self-worth. But if you have grandiose self-worth, you're like, I am the, the best bomb. Yes. Around. <laughs> 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 Nothing's going to happen. Keep me down. 
Wow, I hope that didn't echo. Okay. Number three, do you have an excess need for stimulation or you're very prone to boredom? I, I don't want to, this is hard because I don't want to rate myself too low. Mm-hmm. But do you have an excess need for stimulation mm, or no, like you can so. never just sit there and not be doing something? Mm, one, okay. I think. Okay. Thank you for being honest. I, I am I'm someone who does have to be doing something. Yeah, yeah, I am Like, too. I can't just, like, watch a movie. I'm, I'm there with you. Okay, this one's an easy one. Number four, are you a pathological liar? <laughs> now, if you actually are, you're minute, probably not right? going to admit to it. Uh-huh. So this is one of those places where if this test is actually being used, a person is assessing the person. Yeah. So if the person said to me, I don't know, I never lie, that's that's <laughs> part of the looking at their eyes and talking to people who know them, which mm-hmm. is why Hare talked to the guards in the prison. Right. So zero. Are you a person who cons people or are manipulative? Zero. Yeah. Okay. I'm going. I'll call you out. Okay. I mean, even though we're on our podcast, okay. I will call your butt out. I, I mean, like I you think, would call me out. I think everyone can be manipulative. A little bit manipulative. Sure. We do know how to get our way sometimes. Most people do. Yeah. But I think this is like dysfunctionally manipulative. Okay. okay. Number six. Do you display a lack of remorse or guilt? <laughs> I, I display excessive guilt. Can I was going to say? Can we do a <laughs> negative one on that one for negative you? Negative five. <laughs> do you have a shallow affect? Negative two. <laughs> negative. <laughs> So, guys, if you're scoring yourself, shallow affect means you don't show emotion. Yeah. Okay. And Anna is a big emotion ball. (laughs) Hey, whoa. Hey, whoa. Hey, whoa. (laughs) Because she's the chip off the mommy emotion block. (laughs) Mommy emotion ball, I guess. (laughs) We could take a chip chip off off the old ball. (laughs) Okay, number eight. Are you callous and do not have empathy? Oh, my God. That's a negative for you, too. Good Lord. Okay. Good news, guys. I don't think I'm a psychopath. Hey, whoa. I can't say this word. <laughs> is that why you're looking at the paper like that? Yeah. She's looking I'm sadly put it into at the another paper. Word. <laughs> are, you a, are you a parasite? Parasitic. Parasitical? Do you have a parasitic lifestyle? No. Does that, uh, I don't know what that means. So do like, you move do off you, of people? Yeah. So like no. you don't keep your job and you live with somebody and live off their living? No, that's not me. It reminds me of someone, but not you, Anna. Okay. Number 10. Do you have poor behavioral controls? That means like, Like I think like impulsivity. Yeah. No. Would you do zero? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I can. We were kind of talking about this earlier today that mom and I are both kind of impulsive people in that we like make choices very quickly. And that that can kind of be impulsive, but I don't think that's behavioral. That's not behavioral. No. It would be like, woo, drive on the wrong side of the road. Woo, take off your pants in public. Well, maybe <laughs> one. <laughs> Only if you had a really hard day at work. Only if it's really tough. <laughs> and you didn't make it to your car before you took them off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, do you have a history of promiscuous sexual behavior? Do not. Listen to our last episode to hear what a prude I am, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're judging yourself about your sexual behavior we're talking like one night stands like promiscuous multiple sexual partners limited relationships right number 12 do you have a history of early behavioral problems like when you were a kid did you do mean things <laughs> Does to taking people off your pants count <laughs> <laughs> 
I was your mommy when you were little, and yeah, I can she, answer that she wrote one down for a you. Zero. I put I a zero I right away. Had a chance to answer. Do you lack realistic? This is thirteen. Do you lack realistic long-term goals? No, I think. I think a young woman at your age who has already started her own practice. <laughs> Um, depends on whether or not it's realistic to- <laughs> and you got your master's degree and you and you did all that good stuff okay. i think you have good long long-term goals thanks mom this is the let's cheer for anna show yay yeah you're being very nice to me today that's because i love you <laughs> and i was kind of mean the last you're time i was sassy fun of me not mean you just sassy fun of me for not having a hickey ever yeah that is kind of weird but <laughs> <laughs> that's not a chip off the mommy ball <laughs> one way we're Girl, different. let me tell you about my hick. No, okay. All right, number 14. Oh, this is kind of goes back. Are you overly impulsive? No, not overly. Right. And so, and that could be like, like shopping, crazy, mm-hmm. spending, mm-hmm. almost like um, manic behavior maybe yeah. where you get really, or, or woo, have sex with three different people at one night. Woo. Mom, mom <laughs> I have to do the impulsivity is being a woo girl. <laughs> and I am a woo girl, but mom I'm not terribly. Kind of a woo girl. <laughs> I would say, in behavior, <laughs> I am more impulsive than you through life's experience. Not I, at this point I in my life. I think I'm more anxious than you are, and I think being anxious makes you less impulsive yes, behaviorally. Yes, that's – wow. That's deep, Anna. <laughs> I'm going to give you a big star for Yay. that one. Okay, not only is she not a psychopath, but she's damn smart. Okay. And also very anxious. <laughs> Number 15, and she's a little anxious because she's so smart. Smart people tend to be more anxious. I guess that's true. That's really true. Okay, number 15, do you have a high level of irresponsibility? No. This should be making you feel very good about yourself. I, yeah. Okay, 16. It's actually making me wonder if I'm just not being very insightful. No, you're... Okay. I know you. I've known you for okay. your whole freaking life, <laughs> even interuterine. <laughs> was I very impulsive in the womb? She was not. She was very good in the womb. Okay. 16. Do you fail to accept responsibility for your own actions? No. Again, very guilty. <laughs> Take responsibility for every action. Even other people's. Even other part. people's you actions. You don't know them. You'll say, oh, I nope, think I did mine that. mine now. Thanks. <laughs> Have you had many short-term marital or romantic relationships. I'm not. Short term would be the clue word there. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a marriage or just a, a intimate relationship. Right. There's several doubles on this. Did he, he just want to get to an even 20? Because there's been He two- actually started with 100. What the? <laughs> yeah, he started with 100. Oh and they God. pared it down to 22. Jeez. And then for the final draft, there was 20. Number 18. <laughs> Were you- there just 17 different impulsivity Do you like cats? Do you like <laughs> Yeah. If you said yes, you're a psychopath. What's your favorite color? And they're like, Robert, you can't answer that with a zero, one, or two. It's like, fine, skip it. Do you ever have weird dreams about me? <laughs> Do you like my hair? Okay, 18 is... Do you, I don't think this test must be this fun. <laughs> Just so you know, if I was actually testing a psychopath, <laughs> I don't think we'd be laughing this much. Unless I'm just trying to charm you. Ooh, Ooh. superficial charm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm looking at her eyes, and she's not superficial. Okay, 18. Do you have a history of juvenile delinquency? No. I think that's the tricky part. That kind of goes back, if you think, to the definition that Anna gave from the DSM about antisocial. About conduct. Yeah, the conduct disorder mm-hmm. in childhood, which I, I kind of struggle with that one. Okay, number 19. This is a weird one. Have you ever experienced a revocation of conditional release? 
So that's very specific what to people who have been in jail. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, it's a jail thing? Well, it is, but it says it can be generalized to like, is somebody gave you a second chance. Like you had a problem in your relationship and you got a second chance and then you screwed up again. Okay. I mean, okay. as in everyone? I mean, specifically when it's worded this way because he was talking to- Right. And so, like, which you were, I think you were is let such, out. A, such a clear thing that this this sample if it happened was or didn't. very specific, right. and the population was very specific. Right. And we do need to think of that when we're thinking about where, who's being tested. So maybe the way I would reword this is: in your life experience, have there been times where someone gave you a second chance to do better, and then you still made the same mistakes? Uh, oh, I would say no. I mean, like, I think that. If we're reflecting it back to characteristics of psychopathy, it's not learning from your mistakes. And I don't think that's me. That's right. Okay. So then the last one is, do you display criminal versatility? Which <laughs> Yeah, I'm criminally versatile, actually. You could like be a thief or you could be a, I don't know what else, a jaywalker. Very versatile. I can be a jaywalker. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say one because I don't want to look boring. And I only have one other one. <laughs> one, one. <laughs> you are so white bread. <laughs> white picket fence around a little loaf of white bread. <laughs> so sad. No, it's, you should really be proud of yourself because you're a good, good, good girl. You're such a good, good girl. Go do a crime. So let me go back go to the criminal versatility for a minute because it's about that a psychopath isn't necessarily a serial murderer. Right. But that if you looked at their life experience, they might have dabbled in several different kinds of crimes just because they were just doing something to get what they wanted at the time. Right. It wasn't like they focused on, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. They just did whatever they had to do illegally. So yeah. So if you're scoring yourself at home, as long as you didn't score a 30, you're good. Yeah. Which you'd have you to. You have to score really high on right. this one to be a psychopath. Right. So, so you have to score a For 30. For reference, I got a, a one or a two. Yeah. Depending on what one, and if she like pushes it, it's two. But I think she's probably one. I got one out of forty. That's the worst grade I've ever gotten on anything. (laughs) But in this case, it's a good grade. It's a really good grade. It's like golf. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. Hole in one, baby. Just for a weird reference point, Gacy, John Wayne Gacy, the clown dude, Um, the one who was a clown and ate people. Did he? Yeah, he got a thirty-nine. No, buddy. That's interesting. So between 30 and 40 is the issue, is a problem if you get above a 30. And if you did this at home, Sipsters, you probably scored well below that. And what they said was average people. Mm, I'm so wrong. It wasn't Gacy. It was Ted Bundy. Mm. And he was the person who ate people. He ate people. Yeah. He got a 39 out of 40. I'm not sure about Gacy. I didn't see that for him. But the average person gets like five to eight. And then... If you um, if you're white bread like me, you get one you get or two. Way, yeah, but when he did this with prisoners who were not psychopaths, they would score around twenty two ish. They're still going to get a little higher, right? They have less of a conscience and they've had more impulsive. I would stuff. wonder because that's hard too. Because like I think at some point, especially like people like Ted Bundy and, and Gacy, like that was their thing that they were. Like they owned being a psychopath. So right. were they just answering everything like? 
to no matter what also. And that's and that's part of self-assessment that we always talk about. Right. That either you're trying to score one way or the other way. Either right. you want to be it or you don't want to be it. So yeah. you think what what's going to get me there. There's always, in self-assessment, that's always a problem. And that's why, and I didn't really do research into the other part of the test, mm-hmm. um, but there, there are technically two parts to the test. But a big part of the assessment is just what has been interviewing other people people who were like the guards mm. interviewing other sources but also just <laughs> every the, time you blink during a test they take a point yeah. off <laughs> the end but the idea that by the time you know Robert Harrod d- had interviewed thousand Thousands, people yeah, yeah that he got very used to looking for signs yeah in the article where i got most of my history stuff and then i said mom was looking at earlier the person who was writing the article kind of described robert hare like when he arrived at the little meeting as like more of a criminal profiler than like a psychologist right. like he kind of gave that impression mm-hmm. as like kind of hard-nosed and kind of like would get to the bottom of you you know what i mean right I think kind of closure about this topic, one of the things that came back again and again as as I was diving into that was that actually there are people who would somehow register on a scale as a psychopath, but they don't do terrible, terrible things. You know, mm-hmm. like not only are they not serial killers, but they're actually very successful leaders of companies. And right. we've, we've talked about how antisocial personalities mm-hmm. are often CEOs. We you in know. our president episode about how a lot of people like who are in politics are, are kind of register high on the, I think it was narcissism. We were talking about narcissism mm-hmm. in episode 63. We were talking about narcissism, but how being a narcissist can very much help you in business. And I think right. that plays the same. Narcissist is another cluster B personality disorder. So they have so some similarities. They're similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one study that was done by a psychologist named Nathan Brooks, he estimated that if you look at the general, I don't know how else to call that, the po- general population, mm-hmm. about 1% could be classified as a psychopath. But if you look at CEOs of big businesses, 3% to 21% wow. would have traits that would lead you to be able to put them in that category. And one of the books that Robert Hare wrote was about dealing with psychopaths in the workplace. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So this is kind of way on the end of, you know, we we often talk about different mental illnesses and things that we struggle with. This is kind of way on the end of that mm-hmm. spectrum of severity. Do you think severity. you've ever dealt with a client? A client with psychopathy? Um, I would say not now since I've actually become a licensed counselor, but in my undergrad work, I worked at a local facility that is a residential facility mm-hmm. for adolescents. And I do believe that one of the young men that I worked with there was scary, scary. And it reminded me of it when you were talking about how Hare said I had no business being mm-hmm. there because I was an undergrad. I mean, I didn't even have a bachelor's degree a yet. And I was doing an internship there. And I was working with this very wise woman who was a counselor there. We worked with like five different young men together. And this one particular one, I mean, the very first session I had with him, he wrapped me around his finger. And she said to me, after a couple of sessions, you know, he is totally playing you. Mm. And I was, first of all, I was very young. I was only 20 years old, but I I was also naive. Yeah. But when I look back on it now and think about the conversations we had and then like the follow-up on what happened to this young man after, because I was still in touch with the counselor and we kind of stayed friends through the years. We're still Facebook friends. Oh. Um, but he, indeed, he's in prison now. So I think that's the closest I can come to actually looking at someone and saying, yeah, that person was. 
And like hair, I was totally unprepared to deal with that kind of personality. I was just little. Do you think that you've ever encountered that? Not a psychopath. I think I've dealt with some narcissists. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, but I don't think I've. I mean, and I've dealt with the narcissist because their spouse would come in right. with issues. Yes. And then eventually they'd come in for a couple session and it'd be like, holy crap. Like ding dong, ding yeah, dong. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Narcissist alarm goes off <laughs> yeah. as they walk through the door. So, like, you yeah. have a metal detector. We have at the a door. little bell above our door and it rings when the narcissist walks in. Yeah, that's scary stuff. I mean, half my DNA comes from someone with us who is a sociopath. So, does that count? <sighs> I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. I hope he does. <laughs> Can we get sued for yeah, defamation or, of character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not saying his name or any of his aliases. That's so. true. That's true. Who knows what his name is? Who is I he? don't know. Who is he? He's a ghost. He is. He doesn't even have the same last name as you or I. So that's true. They cannot be traced. Cannot. Cannot. <laughs> cannot. Cannot reverse engineer it. <laughs> So if you were listening today, Sipsters, and either you you were listening and you were like, oh, man, I'm awfully close to 30. <laughs> Honestly, if you're thinking about it and you're thinking, maybe I am one, you probably aren't one. That's true. Yeah. However, if you're thinking about someone in your life and you're like, holy crap, uh-huh. I think that is one, that might be a person that you want to consider not being around so much or perhaps yeah. ending that relationship if yeah. that's a person you're in a relationship with. Yeah, don't don't think, oh, I need to get them help. I need to fix them because that's not really your job. Right. If you can get them to go to therapy, mm-hmm. that's fine. But if you can't, that's not your responsibility. To- right. Yet again, we're talking about self-awareness, Anna Banana. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness and balance. Balance? I don't know. I just always have to throw in balance because okay. that's my thing. <laughs> She can't say one without the other. Can I say thank you to our listeners? Yeah. Do we have anything else that we need to... Do we summarize it at all? Don't be a psychopath. Yeah. Just don't. Just don't. Just don't do it. Stop doing that. Stop it. If you're listening and you're a psychopath... (laughs) Just stop. Just stop. (laughs) That's totally not how it works. (laughs) Okay. Now you can thank the listeners. Okay. Sipsters, thank you so much for being with us again. And we really appreciate that. You do maybe go back and listen to some of those episodes that we talk about. We reference. If you haven't listened to those, go back and check them out and see what we got. And you can still become a golden chalice, even though you didn't do it like right away. Yeah. You could go back and you listen. You can always be a golden you chalice. You can always sister. make up for it. So we do definitely appreciate uh, you joining us each time. And we'll talk to you next time. Very much. Thank you so much for being here. You can find more of us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are Freudian Sips Pod on everything. Our site is freudiansipspod.com or you can get a hold of us directly by email at freudiansipspod at gmail.com. Um, we're on Patreon if you want to support us there at Freudian Sips Pod as well. And please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. We will read it on the show. We will thank you. We will blow you kisses. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Yes, we always, that always warms our hearts. Yes. And our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs>